2: Richard Pochettino out, Jose Mourinho in, who on earth saw that coming? That's where we begin this week's Pod. with so much to talk about. David Wiener with you, joined by Richard Bayless, Nick Montgomery of Sheffield United fame, now the Central Coast Mariners assistant coach, and we get reaction from Mark Schwartzer, who of course played for Jose Mourinho at Chelsea. There's so much to talk about, let's get started. Yeah there's only just a little bit to talk about in the world of football today and we're going to have a we've got so much to tuck into. Uh, Richard Bayless, welcome back to the Gagan Pod. Good to see you as always. Hello Dave. That's a a very elaborate press conference
0: (laughs) grab from you. Thank you. No, it's good to be here. It's good to chat some football. I wonder whether we talk about anything other than the obvious today. That's a challenge for you, Dave.
2: Well, the plan was to bring in Central Coast assistant coach Nick Montgomery, Sheffield United legend, played a thousand games for them over in his time in the UK before joining us here in Australia and had some time with Manchester United in the preseason. So a perfect chat for this episode. We've been a little bit distracted, Monty. So we've got a, bit, a few other things to talk about, but
1: welcome welcome to Optus Sport. Uh, great to see you. How, how are you going? Thanks, guys, and thanks for the introduction. Uh, it was a few less than a thousand games, <laughs> but yeah, I obviously spent a, a massive part of my career at Bramall Lane with Sheffield United, but I think, like you said, overnight there's been a, a massive announcement. And I think the whole world's talking about that
2: as uh, we speak. Absolutely. We're going to get straight into it. We'll talk a little bit more about what you're doing here as well later in the show and the Sheffield United match, night a fi- fixture, but first... Jose Mourinho to Tottenham Hotspur, Mauricio Pochettino out, all in the space of 12 hours. Before we get stuck into that here, we jumped on the phone a little bit earlier today to get the thoughts of Mark Schwartzer, who played for Jose Mourinho at Chelsea. And I asked him whether this move from Daniel Levy will work at Tottenham.
1: There's one person that is brave enough, has the ability to to carry it, to to really not let it bother him too much. It's Jose Mourinho to go, you know what? Yeah, I did say that in 2013, but things change and move on. And my mind's changed and I'm here because it's an enormous amount of potential. And Tottenham is a phenomenal club um, and it has an enormous amount of potential.
2: All right, guys. So Schwartzy thinks that the risk is going to get the reward. Your immediate reaction when you woke up yesterday and then driving home, got your alert on your phone from off
0: the sport, of course, and saw Jose Mourinho, Tottenham manager. Nice plug, Dave. Always. O- o- that's actually exactly <laughs> how it happened for me. I mean... Should we be shocked by anything in football anymore? You know, you sort of think you see Leicester win a Premier League, you see sackings all the time, you see great results, you know, huge games in the Champions League, wherever it is, international, upsets all the time. Yet this happened yesterday, and I genuinely felt shocked when Jose Mourinho was unveiled as the boss of Tottenham, mere 12 hours after Pochettino's exit. I was stunned. I still am as well, because, you know, just the idea that. You know, forget the fact that Mourinho comes in, that's another world of surprise. But the fact that it ended so poorly for Pochettino for a start, Monty, just a few months after taking them against all odds to a Champions League final, how can it
1: unravel so quickly? And like you said, you're talking about a manager there that's been at Spurs what I think out of the last five seasons has finished in the top four. So that's a fantastic achievement. And, you know, like you said, if anyone's gonna get time in football, you possibly thought Pochettino would you know, the, the 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 new stadium being built is absolutely magnificent. They've got probably the, one of the best training grounds in world football. So you thought possibly it's been a little bit of a, a period where Daniel Levy's going to, you know, finally give him some money to spend and really push Tottenham to that next level. But, you know, it seems whatever's happened, the panic button's been pushed. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden you've got a manager coming in, Jose Mourinho, who everywhere he's been, he's spent massive amounts of money and brought in a lot of experienced players. And, you're looking at Tottenham squad, and it's a very, very talented young squad with some fantastic players. You know England's uh, leading talisman in Harry Kane. So it's uh, yeah, it, it, like you said, I was shocked. Um, you know, I thought he'd definitely get time, but it seems in over the international break, uh, there's been discussions going on probably for a, a long time. And yeah, it's uh, you know, it, it, it's been a bit of a shock to everybody. Why now? Do you think
2: maybe Mourinho, who we know clearly, given how quick he's already taken training. He's been plotting in the background. You think it's Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Daniel Levy watching things going, this is a
0: slippery slope, we've got to go now. It's just, why now? Why not in the last season? If Mourinho was going to go to one of those bigger clubs, Real Madrid or Bayern Munich, it would have happened by now. You know, he's really linked himself to those gigs. It could have potentially been Arsenal as well, just down the road. <laughs> They're struggling. Emery, you think can't be too far away from the chop if things don't improve. Certainly the atmosphere around the Emirates needs to in the short term. Maybe they've just taken the opportunity and gone, you know what, things aren't going well here. There is an opportunity to get Mourinho in. It might be the only opportunity we have. We need to jump on it now. But it's certainly been lingering for at least a couple of weeks. I believe back the Watford game about three weeks ago, because even the timing at the moment is a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, you've got a two-week gap between fixtures when the international break is on. You would think, if you are to bring a new boss in, you do it at the start of that window as well. You mentioned the fact, Monty, it's a panic button. Do you think it's you think it's just pure panic? You know, Levy's jumped into something that he really shouldn't have done.
1: I think you talk about the timing there. You know, Daniel Levy he knows he's got plays on that England squad. They've been away. Um, so possibly, you know, if it's done before the, 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 the international window, players go away, you know, the mind's going to be on what's happening, you know, who's coming in, you know, Mourinho's in, that's going to be the talking point and, you know, it's probably a you know, smart move from the club deciding to wait till the players are back from international duty. Look at football, is football, I'm pretty sure that Harry Kane and a few of the boys possibly may have known. Um, you know, these things are pretty hard to keep quiet in football. But look, the timing, like I said, the timing is what it is. I think everybody that's followed the the Tottenham story, um, you know, Champions League missed out on the final and then, um, you know, the, the arguments the, that's been going on in the background and, you know, some some sound, uh, good stories. There's been arguments in the canteen with Levy and Pochettino <laughs> um, and, you know, there's players unrest, possibly. Listening to uh, Daniel Levy and... Uh, and Pochettino arguing about you know moving the club forward, and all of a sudden they're going into national duty with Man City and Liverpool players, and they're listening to them about how their clubs are going for the Premier League and and Champions League, and and possibly that's you know that's the reason why the, the players have been underperforming because you have got a massively talented squad there that you know is underachieving from from where they were last year. So I think it's a, a culmination of things, but like you said, I'm pretty sure that it was organised way before this international break and the timing's probably what they decided on, you know, to, to not distract the players too much.
0: It reminds me a little bit um, of when Leeds got rid of David O'Leary. I know there are very different circumstances, but off the back of a an unreal run in the Champions League, the expectation rises so much and by and large a manager is sacked. When results start to go south, but on the whole it completely confuses the fan base because things weren't going that bad. I know that the owner at Leeds at the time was essentially wiping his backside with hundred pound notes and Daniel Levy is essentially the opposite of that. So it's not exactly the same. But in terms of that shock factor of, yeah, things weren't going great, but they weren't going that bad. I mean, you look at how inconsistent things are for all clubs, it seems, outside of the top four at the moment in the Premier League. All they had to do was probably string a few results together, you know, get their injuries on track, have a few players commit to the club. They could have turned it around quite quickly in theory maybe that maybe that's a little bit too hopeful though
1: yeah look I think if you've followed Pochettino from the start of the season he didn't quite have that glint in his eye that he did Mm. last year and then you listen to all the stories and like you said there's players unrest there possibly thinking is he gonna go is he gonna stay you know there's talk there's talk about him at Manchester United by Munich some of the other big jobs coming up and you know, possibly if he didn't see that, his future was there. And like you said, the expectations from the fans were were huge. Like you talk about Leeds United there and um, the expectation becomes, uh, you know, becomes massive. And it's <laughs> probably a bit of a burden. And if he's not allowed to spend that money that he wanted, then possibly that, you know, that, that that's a massive reason. Again, why, you know, why why a lot of this uh, stuff's happened.
2: So that's what confuses me, Monty, because he wasn't able to spend the money that he wanted, but in comes a manager who spent as much in one window as Spurs and Levy spent in five and a half years <laughs> under Pochettino, and he's come in and commanded. All of a sudden, they found enough to pay out Pochettino when he staffed £12 million. Mourinho's going to cost, I think, £8 million a year in wages, pounds. I think that puts him second on the
1: planet in terms of the pecking order for coaches' salaries. Where's this money come from? Well, look, you talk about you know the, the money that spent. I think it was 109 million in in, in five years. Pochettino spent, and Mourinho spent that in 12 weeks in 2018. So that that shows what a fantastic job Pochettino did. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. You know, spending only 109 million, which is massive money, but in today's market, that's just over one Harry Maguire. Yeah. So to do that and get to the Champions League and four top four finishes is. It's huge, but look, maybe Tottenham have looked at it as a business. Uh, you know, as, football is a business, and thought, you know, Mourinho coming in, possibly he can put value on the players if they get success. You know, the money that they that they're talking there, success add values on players, and they start being, being a selling club, selling a couple of the young young players. In the long run, it's it, you know, it's business at the end of the day.
0: How much of Mourinho's value do you think has been? devalued by what happened at Manchester United because you know the record there of spending a fair bit not being able to cultivate that young talent bring them through which he's never really done anywhere let's be honest but it seems as though the Mourinho we now look at going to Spurs I mean if this happened three or four years ago everybody would say this is unbelievable for Tottenham huge signing but now because of what's happened at Manchester United because of the, the personality I suppose that Mourinho puts out there particularly in the press you know he divides opinion he polarizes opinion now, all of a sudden, there's that negativity to it. Do you think that his reputation has taken a big hit from what happened at United?
1: Look, he's a very, very shrewd, smart smart man. And to be honest, I think he's probably took a lot of time to self-reflect since he left Manchester United. And for me, Manchester United is a different beast. It's one of, the, you know, if not the biggest club in the world. Uh, you know, when he went to Chelsea, that was an underachieving club. He spent huge amounts of money um, and virtually bought success, you know, as did Manchester City at Manchester United, you know, a draw is a, a bad result. And again, going in there, he did, you know, he did, did quite well, uh, spent a lot of money. But yeah, it just seemed that, that during that period, he sort of fell out with some big name players. And you look back at Mourinho when he first started, I think his man management style and the way the players played for him, that was the biggest buzz. You know, you, you look at John Terry and these players, Frank Lampard, the way they speak about him. I'm sure if you ask Pogba and a few of the Man United boys, it's completely different and you know you mentioned that i did spend time you know with manchester united uh, in pre-season and i did speak to a few players and i just didn't get that that feeling that they that they found his management style was you know the way that, that other people talked about and you could clearly see that week to week it was you know the training ground bust ups and and all that stuff was really messy um but look he's probably like i said he's a smart guy you know the move to go on at sky sports and and do the commentary and put himself out there and let people know he's changed and he's uh, you know he's self reflected and you know the guy the guy you know <laughs> he's one of the most decorated managers in world football ever um, so he's a very, very smart guy, and he probably knew that was a good chance for him to get out there and and put him put himself in the window as players do, and you know let people know that he has changed and he has reflected on what he's done in the past because if you want to win things, you know you, again he spends money, but he'll win you things. It's it's that simple.
2: So Schwartz s- backs Mourinho's man management style from his time at Chelsea, says that he could look guys like Terry Lampard, Ivanovic in the eye, berate them, but get the best out of them. From your sense, spending time with Manchester United with a fresh voice like Solskjaer coming in, do you feel like that style, uh, you know, there was smoke where there's fire, that didn't work
1: at United and that he might need to show that he has changed at Spurs? Look, I think that's a good point. You know, myself at the minute, I'm I'm coaching under twenty-three players as well as helping Alan Stadgett with the first team, and it's a different generation. You know, I still find it hard at my age to just think. You know, the young players now, you can't you can't be that honest with them. You can't be that um, you know that discipline with them because you're talking footballs moved on a, a long way. You know, from when he took over there, like you said, you got leaders. They talk about Lampard, Terry. You know, no doubt you could smash them to the face. Not happy, and and the next day you'll come in, shake hands, and they'll be the same rock they were for you, but. You find now that young players, and it's like I said, it's a generation thing. A lot of them need an arm around them, and you know they're powerful. You know their agents are powerful. It's a different, it's a totally different market than it was ten, you know, twenty years ago. It's huge, so no doubt. Like I said, he's he's changed his management style. He's won plenty of trophies in different continents, speaks different languages, so he's adaptable. I think his coaching, you know, his coaching ability is to adapt to where he's at. At Manchester United, it just looked like he'd had enough. And he wanted to move on. And uh, like you said, there's no doubt in his, his pedigree.
0: What do you think the mood would be like in the dressing room at Tottenham at the moment? Because players talk, they would have known what happened at Manchester United. You know, Manchester United players might have said in international camp, this is what happened under Mourinho. You know, this is what we didn't like. And Tottenham players have had a manager in Maurizio Pochettino, who by and large, most of them seem to really like working with him. A lot of them have come out since. There were a few little issues that popped up with Trippier potentially one or two others as well. But what do you think they would be thinking sitting there in the dressing room before Jose Mourinho takes the first training session for Spurs?
1: Well, look, let's be honest, they've been in relegation form the last uh, couple of months and they want to win games. they are moving at the new stadium. There's another added pressure on there. But like I said, <laughs> Jose Mourinho is a born winner. Uh, at the end of the day, if you're a player in that dressing room, I'm sure some of them were, you know, probably you know, ready to see the back of Poch, wherever they weren't playing, that's normal. But thinking Mourinho's coming in, you know, maybe you're thinking that the club's going to spend now. You know, we want to win things, and you know what, we want to stick around. We don't want to leave now. You know, we want to see Spurs challenge the big three, four clubs in the Premier League because they've got all the facilities and and the, and hopefully the backing to do that. So, again, as players, it's they got to move on quickly. I'm, I'm, there's no doubt a lot of them had massive respect for Pochettino. You could see that to get where they have done the last, you know, four five years, and then the Champions League final last season. There's no doubt that that. You know they'll they'll shake hands. They'll thank him for what he's done, and they'll also know that he'll go and get another big job somewhere else. So now it's time for them to perform because if they're not performed under him now, and they don't perform under Mourinho, then you know possibly they'll end up at lesser clubs if they do perform. You know, and he's you know he stays in touch with them, which he probably will. Then there's no doubt they'll think I've got an opportunity to play under Mourinho and win things. And also if Pochettino gets a massive job, which he probably will do at some point. Um, then again, that you know they'll be ready to, to, to go and join him again if they were the bond was that close.
2: All right, prediction time because uh, you could have said before he we went to United, this will end badly before three years. <laughs> what are we thinking? here? Mourinho's never been the firefighter; he's always been the guy whose fires have to be put out. So this is very different for him, <laughs> um, and he's going to come in and you know you think you think Solskjaer replaced Mourinho. He didn't replace Mourinho. Uh, Benitez, I think. Replace Mourinho. Mourinho is now going in doing the replacing, and they're going to get the shock of their lives as
1: well. Um, how does it play out? And is this his last chance? I don't think so. Again, you know, there's, there's plenty of owners out there that, that want to win things, and some people, uh, you know, say his football is not the most attractive football, but he's, he's a born winner. And like I said, he's he's had so many experiences now at some of the biggest clubs in the world that he's probably learnt so much and probably taking time out like as he has done that'll give him that that self reflection time um so yeah it's it's going to be interesting to, to see because you mentioned there most clubs he has left in a bit of a mess which a lot of good managers do you know they don't want someone coming in and all of a sudden it's all rosy and and you know it makes them look bad that's that's normal i've seen that in in my time as well so again you know going in somewhere now where you know the expectation is for him to get instant results, and and start with a massive game on the weekend at West Ham, it's it's a great opportunity for him to get off to a good start.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm pumped. Seriously, for the weekend, <laughs> I don't think I've ever been so pumped for seeing a Tottenham or West Ham game. <laughs> I think it's going to be great just to see what happens on the sideline, let alone on the pitch. Uh, you know, I think some of the concerns maybe from Spurs fans more so than anyone else. Obviously, the fact that uh, the football could be negative that's a, a bit of a worry. But there's no doubt that what happens around the football will be. You know, box office. And you look at the fact that if they lose to West Ham on the weekend, West Ham themselves are rubbish at the moment, let's be honest. But they themselves, you know, have been fighting hard to turn that around. And they'll have heaps of motivation in that game. They'll be behind West Ham. Tottenham 14th at the moment. They Mm. can slide at the weekend. So Mourinho's, he has to go in and start firefighting. I don't think anyone genuinely thinks they're a relegation threat, but that's where they'll sit if they Mm. don't get a result straight up.
2: And they need to be in the top four. They build this magnificent new stadium. That's exactly where they need to be. So, you know, you know what? how much theatre he's going to bring straight away week one an old foe Pellegrini or Pellegrino as he used to call him, to show that he didn't really pay much attention to him the sparkling water man so we cannot wait for that that's Saturday night coverage from 10.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on the Sport so the manager of America around from here we mentioned Bayern Munich we mentioned Real Madrid for Mourinho suddenly there's the hottest property on the market is Pechettino damaged goods does he hold the key to the domino is this his great escape actually with a few extra million in his back pocket
0: yeah, twelve million, isn't it? Yeah. It's not a bad payout. Well, there's no, there's no incentive for him to go and find work straight away. He can take a little bit of time off, but I'd reckon—I don't know what you reckon, Monty. I think he's his stock hasn't in any way dropped by being sacked by Spurs. What he's done in five and a half years, like you said before with the players, very little budget is remarkable and he will probably have the pick of plenty of gigs. I mean, you know, Manchester United, he's been linked to before, Real Madrid as well. Bayern Munich on paper is probably the best one to take because, you know, they're standing by waiting to the end of the season. Maybe Eric Ten Hag, the man that they wanted. This will change their views potentially because Pochettino is available in theory now. And even though they've had a few issues in the dressing room themselves, they're a team that can just turn it on and win the Champions League if they really want to, it seems. So that is a gig that'll be uh, fascinating to watch. But he's not going to be out, you wouldn't think, for too long.
1: No, I totally agree. Like you said, his record at Spurs the last five years, when people see what he's been through um, to to produce the results he has and and, and the top four finish in the Champions League final on that, like you said, a tiny budget, uh, let's be honest, compared to the the big clubs, Um, I think... If you're an owner, you're you're someone out there. Now we talk about hitting the panic button. I'm pretty sure there'll be a few uh, board meetings going on, and it's you know he's on the market. Do we get him in? Um, but look, I'm pretty sure he, he's not going to rush into you know the next job that he gets a call from. And like Mourinho, I'm pretty sure he had plenty of opportunities to come, and he's sat waiting. And this has probably been burning in the background. He's probably been r- rubbing his hands, especially last week when my team Sheffield United should have beat them at home. <laughs> um, so he's probably just been waiting and waiting. Um, but like you said, it's it's definitely you know the manager you know, merry-go-round. It could it could create a knock-on effect. And if I was at, if I was a manager at a big club that's not doing too well now, you'd be looking over your shoulder because. You know, he's he's, he's a a fantastic manager and there's no doubt he's not going to be out of work for too long. I can't
2: wait to see what he does with some money because we've seen what he does getting people to bat overs. Let's see what he can do when he's got some money to spend. So, Monty, talk about looking over their shoulders.
1: Is this bad news for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? I don't think, look, you know, everyone knew Manchester United, you know, when when Mourinho left, Ole came in, um, you know, and it was, it's a massive, massive task, he he got the boys playing, they were unhappy, you could see that, when when he took over, you could see everybody buzzing around, they started winning games, probably some games they shouldn't have won uh, on form, but... I think, um, you know, anyone that goes into Manchester United, you're going to need a bit of time. But do you get time at Manchester United? It's the biggest club in the world. That's where, you know, every day is pressure. And then I was fortunate to spend time with the background staff and pre-season and the magnitude of that club is just, it's just unbelievable. You know, everywhere there's fans screaming, the demand results, a draw is an absolutely catastrophic result. Losing games, again, it's not its not Manchester United, but they need to spend money as well. You look at the squad, you know, Marcus Rashford, what a fantastic talent. He was getting hammered a couple of weeks ago and the form is hit now, you know, but remember he's a young he's a young player. They've got a lot of young players in there. McTominay, you know, he's been brilliant, um, but they've got a lot of young players and like I said, everyone wants instant success, but I think someone needs a bit of time there and there's a top guy, like I said, he's a top guy, he's a legend there. You know, he's my management style. He's, he's the players. You can tell the players really, really like him and respect him, which is which is uh, you know which is warranted for what he did at the club. Um, so again, I think you know, come this transfer window, I think they need to spend and bring some players in. But who knows? Like you said, who 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 thought Mourinho would have took the Spurs job? Um, so yeah, who knows? It's football. How did you end up uh, in their backroom staff for Perth, and what was what was your big takeout or observation from that experience? So look, everyone knows Mike Feelan came over um, as as a sort of a sporting director last year at the club. Um, he met the owner in, in England when he was out of work, and to be fair, he just sort of came over to have a look. Um, he didn't know much about Australian football. Uh, obviously, he knew the the big names Q and Varduka, them boys back in the day. So he came over, and he knows much as much as uh, the Mariners. You know, uh, is a club that's under well not underachieved, hasn't spent you know, a lot of money the last couple of years and it has an English owner who's innovative. He thought, you know, let's bring Mike over. He's out of work. Let's have, have a look at the youth system, the youth set up. Let's look at developing young players. And, you know, Mike came out here and some of the observations he made were, you know, that, you know, in terms of facilities and, and, and infrastructure investment, it's it's not quite there at any of the League clubs. But I think down the line, if if Australian clubs are to, you know, really start producing some good young players for 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 Graham Arnold, then you know, in the in the national team, then they really do have to start investing at a younger age to, to try and build them players so you know from that I kept in touch with Mike Phelan you know the guys won everything under Ferguson played for Manchester United he was assistant manager for many years so for him to come over and I was in that transition from playing to coaching and to be honest you got a guy like that coming over I spent as much time as I could with him and we talked about the class of 92 and his experiences of developing young players there and you know, just some of the stories. I mean, like I say he's probably forgotten more stuff about football than, than everybody knows. Uh, the guy is a nice encyclopedia of coaching and, and football. But I think the biggest thing I took out of my time with him, that, you know, he, football seems... A so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Really complicated game at times, but when he simplifies it, when he simplifies it for you, you know, and it's about challenging the plays every day and and creating an environment where you know they come in and enjoy and they want to play for you and I think if you can get that then after that that's when you know the tactical side of it comes in and the different components but you know I kept in touch with him and he's been a real mentor for me as as well as other people that I've you know fortunate that I've, I've met in the game so when they came to to Perth he invited me over to come and for me it was a, a brilliant opportunity you know for for me working at the Mariners to take the stuff back there and and going and spend four days, you know, behind the scenes, you know, with the team, with the staff, and to see what goes on. It was the uh, probably the biggest thing I took out was that, you know, I'm doing a lot of similar stuff here with the with the young players at the Mariners, and it's not, you know, it's it's not massively different. But you term, in terms of the quality of players, it was just, I mean, watching training was just frightening the speed that the players moved, and even just the, just the, the, the small things like the boxes, the possession boxes, it was it was electric and. Um, you know, obviously, talking world class players, so you know to be able to work with them, number one is fantastic. But not o- not only that, they had they had the same problems as as what you have at every other club. I think Lukaku wanted to leave at the time; he didn't want to train. De um, Gea was talking about his new contract. So you're sitting there thinking, this is the biggest club in the world, and they're going through the same problems as everybody else that every other club. But when you actually you know you see it in the newspaper and in the media, but you know when you see it there, they're just uh, you know football has changed. As the, the players have got a lot of power these days. Um, but, like I said, it was a fantastic experience for me and I took a lot out of it.
2: So, here we are, fifth versus seventh this week, but it's Sheffield United who are fifth, Uni- Manchester United seventh. Not a must win anymore because they've slowly made a bit of progress up the table in recent weeks, but what a yardstick game for them and what an opportunity for Sheffield United to continue their incredible fairy
0: tale. Well yes, yet to lose on the road too Chris Wilder and Sheffield United They're absolutely flying, they're good to watch as well They they aren't lucking into results You can see there's a lot of hard work There's a philosophy there as well And going to Manchester United, I would imagine There won't be too many worries uh, for Sheffield United They won't be intimidated by that road trip The last time they did that in the Premier League You played as well Monty Back in uh, 2006-07 What was that experience like for the Blades back then?
1: Oh, look! Again, we went up that season. We had a really good spell. Um, I think everyone knows that the Carlos Tevez and Mascherano affair happened towards the end of the season, and uh, the, the, you know, it sort of, it went downhill. You know, we all know what happened there. The in- <laughs> injustice. Um, we could talk about that uh, for the rest of the day. But look, um, you know, going to Old Trafford again is is a is a brilliant uh, experience. Um, it's a, one of the best stadiums in the world, and atmosphere. But they go they're full of confidence. They've been to Chelsea you know they've been to Chelsea they've they've got a result there they've uh, gone to spurs and should have beat them so they'll they'll go there they're really hard to break down they're disciplined again you know chris Wilder's someone that I know really well um I've obviously kept in touch with him over the years I know obviously the captain billy sharp and a lot a lot of the players there and I've been fortunate during my uh, pro license um, going back to the uk I've I've spent time there as well and watched training and and spent time at, at the club which is which is brilliant for me and they just they're just disciplined they uh, you know they've the structure that they played and, and the style—I think a lot of teams, even in the Premier League, have struggled to deal with the overlapping centre backs and and the movement they have. And rotations—it's been, you know, it's been great to see. But I mean, defensively, they're, they're, they're just solid. I mean, talk about defensive principles—you know, they block shots, people get tight. You know, there's no letting runners run past you. And down the other end, you know, they they do deliver balls, and a lot of the goals have come from wide deliveries. So they will deliver balls, and if you don't deal with them in the box, they've got players that are you know they, they try to get two three players in the box every time and they'll get chances so it's going to be a, it's going to be a, an interesting battle
0: obviously sitting 5th is huge for Sheffield United long way to go though and the gap between you know pretty much 5th all the way down to 17th it's not massive but you know do you think they'll be looking over their shoulder still knowing that will it still be all about survival or will do you think the players and and coaching staff and of course supporters start to look up a little bit and think maybe this is a season with all the big boys having inconsistent times of it we can achieve something special.
1: I oh, look the fans there. There again, they're so passionate. It's just an unbelievable atmosphere. I was fortunate that I spent 14 years playing there, um, but again, I don't think they'd be getting carried away. You know, we know that going into that Arsenal game a couple of weeks back, if they'd have lost that game, things would have looked a lot different. But they beat they beat Arsenal at Bramall Lane. I was I was at that game live, which was brilliant. Um, and then the, the you know the momentum off the back of that, they obviously they've 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 had a few more uh, good results since then. Um, but look, it's the Premier League, same as a championship. One week you can be in the top half of the table, you know. The next week you can be, you know, looking underneath you. And it is still early days, but you know, there's no, there's no pressure on them. Again, wherever they go, the pressure at the minute is on the, on the away team. And um, like I said, it's, it's a, it's a good opportunity them for them to go to Manchester United, where it's again, is after the international break. You got Rashford on fire, you know. I'm pretty sure it's, it's not going to be an easy game, but you know, hopefully they can continue that, that, that that runner farm away from home. Isn't it amazing that no one's been
2: able to stop the overlapping centre-backs all the way up into the Premier League? I find that absolutely fascinating. But tell us about Chris Wilder. Obviously got amazing self-belief to take that tactic and implement it
1: against the best in the world. Yeah, look, he's, he's a Sheffield United fan uh, through and through. But when I first joined the club, he was uh, he was he was in the first team, so I got to know him really well. I probably cleaned his boots. Um, that used to happen back in the day. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, but just just a really honest guy, you know, really honest guy, hard working, um, and you know, he went lower leagues. It was a Halifax Town, Oxford, um, Northampton. So he's been he's been down to the you know lower echelons of English football, and there's no doubt he learned a lot there. Um, he's very disciplined. Um, And like you said, you know, to have people, you know, some of the top coaches in the world talking about the way Sheffield United play and not being able to work it out. You know, I remember watching a Liverpool game and it was, you know, Liverpool couldn't work out how to break them down. And in the second half, you know, Sheffield United had some very good chances against probably one of the best club teams in the world. Um, And I haven't seen anyone really do that to to Liverpool. Um, So... Look, he's, he's a shrewd guy. He's got experienced backroom staff in there with Alan Neil um, and you know Billy Sharp, a captain, a good friend of mine. He probably cleaned my boots so, Again, that's <laughs> that's that's another generation, uh, but top guy. And you know, one thing I did notice when I went in there was it reminded me of back in the day when you know under Neil Warnock, the team spirit that we had, um, and it was just the boys all just getting on and training. It was just so intense, and and the intensity of the sessions were just just reminded me of of back in the day. Um because they know they have to be fit, they have to be strong and you know, if they're not on the game then, then again it's a Premier League. You are playing against the best players in the world. So if you're not ready, you know, you you'll concede goals. But I think, you know, structurally he's got them right, they're hard to break down and they will get chances to score. Probably not the high scoring games, but He's uh, he's really uh, you know put something in place that's that's set a really good um, foundation for them.
2: Well, no one this is the surprise state of the world at the moment. No one would be shocked if they did get something out of this game. Three thirty a.m. Monday morning on Optus Sport at home to Manchester United. Of course, mini match highlights. whoever else you want to watch it later in the day? A tip, gents, for this one. Draw. Yeah, I'm going to go with a one-one draw. There we go. We'll see how that goes.
1: Rightio, then give us an answer
2: change of pace a little bit because we've just had a, a truckload of football and off the sport over the last week and uh, way too much to digest but 20 teams are in locked in for euro 2020 and there's the playoffs in march next year to decide who gets those final coveted four spots with a very early crystal ball the favorite for euro
1: 2020 in your mind is belgium I'm going to say England I think they're about it's about time the young <laughs> players uh, uh, you know achieve something and I think they they've been flying in the in the qualifiers and this is
0: Belgium's time too many riches Yeah, well, probably both Belgium and and England probably see this as as a great opportunity, probably for different reasons. Belgium have been there a few tournaments, you know, maybe that generation they've got, the golden generation, won't be around for too much longer, so it's their great opportunity. They'll go in under pressure because they're world number ones. I suppose the difference with England is that they've got so many good young players coming through and you would think that, you know, provided there aren't too many training ground bust-ups in (laughs) England camp, you know, they stick together for a while, they should be okay. But it's a pretty open kind of tournament if you look at it now because, you You think France, if they turn it on, of course, they'll be fantastic. You know, some big powers are sort of starting to get back to where we expect them to be. Italy have still got a way to go, but the Dutch are coming. Germany, they can just turn it on, we know as well. But then there are some other teams that did pretty well as well, so it should be an open one. I got a bad feeling. You might be right,
2: Monty. Um, there's a lot going. I just sort sort out the midfield and get the best out of that. And they've got attacking
0: riches you're, to die You're Scottish, for. anyway, Monty. Ah,
1: look, I'm yeah, I'm a mixed, uh, I'm a mixed. <laughs> but anyway, you know, you talk about France there and, and Belgium, and I think Italy will be a you know, Italy could surprise. I think they've been very good in qualifying as well.
2: Well, okay, if I ask you the next question, the dark horse for Euro 2020,
1: is that the same answer? I think so. For me, I think Italy again, an underachieving country for for a long time, but. I think, like saying qualifying, they've been they've been on fire. So, mm. yeah, possibly they could be a dark horse for me. I'm going to say Ukraine. Just to look on your face, I thought you going Ukraine. That's yeah. a really odd thing to say. No, Dave.
2: no, you look like I've got something here. I've got, I've got a good one yeah. here. Oh, I just,
0: I mean, their record uh, even before qualifying under Shevchenko in the Nations League, they just they look strong, don't they? They just look like they're galvanized as a unit. They tore everyone apart in a group that had Portugal and Serbia. They went unbeaten. That was the hardest group potentially on paper. And they'll take a great deal of confidence. So this is a tournament that traditionally dark horses can win too. It is so open. So yeah, maybe. And we'd, and like a tournament we've never seen before
2: because there's going to be travelling left, right and centre, might favour teams who play in their in their host cities. The draw will really, really change this prediction uh, later on this year. So watch this space. And of course that tournament is on Sport next year. We can't wait for that. All right, Rich, PSG's
0: owners closing in on Leeds takeover makes you... Well, hang on a second. Before I answer this (laughs) one, are you aware that there is more than one Leeds supporter on this podcast today? Well, I didn't actually, but I do know that I'm obliged contractually (laughs) to ask you this question. Exactly right. (laughs) I mean, I brought them up earlier in the pod, which was probably a record for the longest it took. It was probably seven or eight minutes in. This one is interesting, isn't it? Qatar money, as we know, rife throughout football, not just at PSG, but right throughout the game, linked with Leeds, has been for a little while. The chat seems to be that it's moving slowly, but there's definitely something there, and you would suspect it hinges on them going up this season under Bielsa. They have to do it, otherwise they'll lose Bielsa, and you sense that all this amazing football they've played, the great couple of seasons they'll have, will fall to nothing. But if they do go up, and this QSI, Qatar Sports Investment, um, is accurate, which it seems to
1: be, then they could go into the Premier League with a heap of cash. Yeah, well, look, let me dispel something straight away. I am from Leeds. I I am, obviously, Leeds is close to my heart. It's where I spent the first six years, from 10 to 16. Then I left and went to Sheffield United. So I'm a, I'm a Sheffield United man at heart. You know, that's my number one club, but obviously I've fond you know, fond uh, involvement with Leeds United. Um, you have to say that there, don't nah, you? You're I do, really look, again, all <laughs> my friends are Leeds fans. I did score at the Cop End there. got some abuse, which was good. <laughs> um, but no, you know, what a, what a massive club. Um, you know, I had a couple of opportunities to sign for them during my, my career at Sheffield United, but uh, it sort of never happened. And then I, then I came over to Australia. But I mean, look, it's, it's one of them clubs that everyone's just sensed, you know, for a long time that, they're about to explode and I think if they can get up in the Premier League again Sheffield United them you've got teams like Sheffield Wednesday you're talking massive massive clubs and in that Yorkshire area you know they live and breathe football you know that's their like I said that's their whole week you know people always ask me what the difference is between the fans here and uh, and in England and football and that that's it for me it's for the fans it's you know it's their life you know they work all week they work all week they work hard and and Go, go to the game on the weekend if they win it's the best thing in the world and their the week's good for the following week if they lose you know it really is a, a tough week for them at work and that's uh, that, That's you know possibly in a lot of other countries as well uh, here there's so many sports it's just a fantastic amount of sports here but there is life or death and it's just a, you know it's a massive club waiting to explode
0: there are a couple of clubs actually in the Championship to keep an eye on. Nottingham Forrester, another one that you'd class as a super club, and they've got investment behind the scenes too. They've been a bit of a rabble on the pitch, but they've just committed to redoing their stadium and the city ground. Themselves, Leeds, um, not as much Wednesday. They need to sort themselves out in the shorter term because they've got some issues hanging over their head uh, legally, but... There are a couple of clubs that if they get back into the Premier League, they won't just succeed because they're big, you know, they're rife for investment. And you look at Mike Ashley at Newcastle wanting £300 million. For Newcastle and nobody paying it, there are deals to be had lower down at your, you know, your forests and your Leeds. I think the asking price for Leeds is a third of that of Newcastle, but the opportunity is probably just as big, isn't it? So there are a couple of clubs to keep an eye on. Watch this space.
2: Speaking of deals, Gareth Bale dancing with the Wales Golf Madrid flag after Wales qualification is,
1: yeah. Look, it was fantastic to see Wales uh, qualify. I was fortunate that I played with Gary Speed before the, you know, tragically, um, you know, lost his life. But I think he really started um, something for Wales then at the time. Um, a lot of good young players coming through, and um, sort of a, a different style of play. And then obviously, you know, Giggsy coming in now, and I think it's it's brilliant for for Welsh football. Like I said, they've they've you know Aaron Ramsey, Gareth Bale. You talk some some top class players, so it's brilliant for them. It really is. Um, and yeah, see Gareth Bale. He's obviously been through a lot. He's uh, has not been happy at Real Madrid um, over the over the you know over the previous season or two, but. Like I said, he's, he's Welsh through and through, and to see that is that's what you want to see. He's he's a real really flying the flag for Welsh football for a long time. It's
0: probably what you want to see if you're a Spurs fan though. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He um, he's the big one first of all. Yeah, there'll be so many players linked to Spurs, won't they? Uh, now Mourinho is there, but the fact that Bale he's either having a massive dig at Madrid or he's just having a laugh at his own expense. But either way, it's great that he held that flag up. Can see the humour in it. And obviously, when you qualify for Euro 2020, you can celebrate however you want.
2: It's great to see some personality from a guy that gets mocked and criticised often for pretty much not. So great stuff to see and great to see them there and great to see Giggs and Bale at a major tournament together. So that'll be amazing to watch. He said what? Jeez, no Christmas card for Jonomi McKell coming up from Eden Hazard after he told B in sports, the laziest player I have played alongside is Eden Hazard. He didn't like to train while we were working. He was waiting for us to finish training, just standing there. But on Sundays, he was always man of the match. It was unbelievable. Lovely words there from McKell about
1: Eden Hazard. Remind you of anyone? I look first. He says Sundays. So whether that was only Sundays or the rest of the games, <laughs> um, I'm not sure he's got the wording right. But like you talk about Eden and Hazard. He's one of the best players in the world. And I think as a player, if you've got a player in your squad like that, you know you 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 know you'll let him off because for me, if he's going to win your game every weekend, again, I don't think you have two or three players like that in the squad because again, the pressure on you. Then if you don't perform, it's it, it's different. But you're talking you're talking a real match winner there. So. Know, I'd happily uh, let him uh, not do much for the week if he's going to turn up on the weekend and, and be the difference between the two teams.
0: Bridgie always says that about Mark Vaduka, doesn't he? That he would essentially turn up late for training, sometimes <laughs> still in his jeans, and then leave earliest and pretty much say to the, the coaching staff, no, I'm not going to do that beep test or I'm yeah. not going to do that. But at the end of the day, they were like, well, yeah. he's probably going to win the game for us on the weekend.
1: Yeah, so Bridgie says Vaduka turns it on. What about for you? For me, I played with a French striker called Christian Nardi, and you probably all remember he, he scored the winner against Arsenal in 2006 at Bramall mm. Lane. Similar to you know, as a French boy that scored the winner a couple of weeks back, so that was uh, a yeah. was ironic. But yeah, I mean this guy, he was he was like he was built like a boxer. Um, he was ridiculously powerful. He's he's um his speed over first 10 you know 10 15 yards was electric but in training he just wouldn't move um and I always remember the following season after the relegation Brian Robson came in obviously a massive name in in English football and a pre-season run we literally the first couple of days we were just running around in training and he was that far behind the rest of the boys that that was it Robson dismissed him because you know coming from from Manchester United where you're talking the calibre of players where you know running is a minimum you know from that point on he, he was dismissed but Again, in the game, his effectiveness in the game when he turned on was, was, was frightening, but he was you know, he was lazy, very lazy. <laughs> Mercurial talents.
2: Like, you just what do you do? You have to make sure that you get the best out of them and each person's got their unique way of doing that. So turn our attention back to the Premier League this weekend. As we mentioned, absolutely massive kicks off with West Ham United against Tottenham. 10.30 coverage begins. 11.30, the kickoff on Optus Sports Sunday as the night rolls on into the morning. Arsenal against Southampton. 2am with Bournemouth Wolves, Brighton Leicester, Crystal Palace, Liverpool as the title race interest returns, Everton against Norwich, Watford against Burnley and the morning wraps up with Manchester City against Chelsea. Wow, tasty stuff. As we mentioned, Sheffield United, Manchester United is the overnight fair into Monday to start your week and the round ends off with Aston Villa hosting Newcastle in their Monday Night Football and our very nice time slot, 7am on Tuesday morning. What? Picks, what takes your fancy out of those games?
0: Well, Manchester in City and Chelsea is obviously a big one. It's a blockbuster game. But for me, it looks like a game that Chelsea won't be expected to win, even though they're above City on the table. How on earth did that happen? It's uh, it's almost a free swing, in a way, for Chelsea. Yeah. And they're playing with that kind of confidence where they, they don't seem to have the pressure on them that they might have had in previous seasons. Obviously, the young players being in there, it's made... Frank Lampard looked like he he can't do anything wrong with those young players playing really well. They're playing with freedom. And going to a place like Manchester City, the question, I suppose, is how do they approach it? But you would think that they won't be intimidated by it. They'll go there, see it as a free swing, and I think they could get a result.
1: Yeah, I think like you say, that's a, that's a massive game. Uh, you know, Manchester City coming off the back of that defeat at Liverpool. You know, Chelsea go there full of confidence. Like you say, a lot of young players that are playing really free. You know, without much pressure on them. And it's been fantastic to see the, the the way they're playing the attacking football. But like you said, doesn't matter what game you look at on you know uh, this weekend, all you look at is, is Tottenham West Ham, and I think all eyes are going to be on that game. It's going to be a uh, you know it's going to be fantastic to see how the, the next couple of days build up and the mind games that Mourinho plays. I'm pretty sure they'll start um, probably uh, probably oh, yeah. straight away.
0: How do you watch it, Monty? Do you stay up and watch games? Do you watch in the morning? Do you always watch Sheffield United, for instance, uh, after you've watched Leeds? Of course. Uh, how does that work?
1: Well, look, anyone to tell you if you go from playing to coaching? It's uh, it's quite consuming. So um, I've got fifty uh, young lads that I'll, that I'm sort of head of at the minute, you know, the NYL squad and, and the MPL squad as well as helping Stadge with the first team. So for me, getting a full game in is is I try and get one in a weekend, um, but I just love the fact I can get up in the morning, watch the three minute or you know the twenty four minutes, um, and see how the games have, have gone. So yeah, it's brilliant. I'm always uh, I'm always keeping an eye on what's going on, and um, you know, along with the A League as well. So it's uh, it's football 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 apart <laughs> well, from three kids screaming running around the house when I'm home
0: just and give them give him a football they will be right
1: <laughs> and, and and life at the mariners at the moment how is that travelling yeah it's good luck it's uh, you know it was a, we had a fantastic win away in perth which nobody expected but we've got a young squad you know Stadges come in uh, from from doing brilliantly, at the, the, the matildas before what happened um, but you know he's, he's structured he's disciplined um, and you know again it's going to take time he's he, you know he wants to pull the squad together but it's hard when when financially you don't have the you know don't have the clout that the other clubs have and, and, and again it's um, you know it, it's a tough league when, when you've got a lot of Air League teams that are spending good money and you know you have to look at Western United coming in the Air League this year and I mean, you know, they've spent a huge amount of money and, and experience does win your games and they've brought a lot of experienced players in. But I think over time, uh, Stad is really keen on youth, which is why for me, you know, being this dual role is pretty unique and hopefully we can, you know, produce the next Tommy Rodriks, Matty Ryans, Bernie Abinis, Oli Bazanich, these sort of players that, that are renowned for you know, coming through at the mountains. And I don't think any of club has, has produced as many young young players that are playing national teams. So that's what we've really got to get back to doing.
2: 100%, 100%. Good stuff. Well, thanks for joining us today. I, t- I tell you what, speaking of those games of the weekend and the pressure at Tottenham... You know Emery's got off Scot free this week. We haven't yeah. even talked about him. No one's talking about him. They play Southampton on the weekend and a week ago we we're talking about Mourinho
0: going there. So if Arsenal lose at home to a very ordinary Southampton, Emery should be sacked before he leaves the stadium. Uh, <laughs> pretty hard to see that happen. If he can't cash in
2: on this week and and getting a complete freebie, then he never ever will. Uh,
0: it'll turn it'll turn pretty quickly yeah. if Tottenham are winning, but the other one to keep an eye out for on the weekend, Crystal Palace and Liverpool. Yeah. Palace have slipped to the bottom half now. You don't suspect they'll have too many Apart from Zahar, obviously, not too many weapons to stop Liverpool. But this is a little bit of a mental hurdle for Liverpool because remember back when the slip happened? Absolutely. Obviously, the slip happened, but it was the, the result away at Crystal Palace that really rubbed it in for them. This will just be a little mental hurdle to get over historically. And if they do win at Selhurst Park, you wait for their supporters to point that out. And look,
1: that's not an easy place to go. Selhurst Park, I've played there many times and it's really, it really is a tough place to go. And again, Liverpool will go there, but... Again, Palace. Palace have you know they, they pull out results that, that you don't expect, and it's going to be a difficult. It's going to be a difficult, difficult game for Liverpool. I'm pretty sure of that.
2: Yeah, and particularly when you look at the way they've jagged results all season, this will be a really good test of them doing that again. Because all their stars coming back from international duty, four or five injured, Robertson and Salah in doubt. If they pull through this one, you're going to go. How many more tests does this <clears> one have to pass before we go? Yep, right. You can have it. It's you. It's yours, guys. Um, so we lo- so much look forward to this weekend, and then of course rolls into a Champions League and Europa League week next week. So it's football every single day of the week. If you fancy that next week, Rich, well you'll be all over it as ever. So thanks for joining us today, and uh, enjoy the
0: football over the weekend. Thanks, Dave. I'm going to go and try to. Give a few more digs to Monty about secretly supporting <laughs> <laughs> Gotta Run run while you can, Monty. Thanks so much for coming in. Great to hear your
2: insights and uh, good luck for what's coming up with the Mariners and your youth work as well.
1: No worries. Really appreciate you inviting me.
2: <laughs> and there's so much football out there to enjoy. So as ever, until the next and pod, enjoy your football.